Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning once again. My name is Michael Redzina. I'm one of the pastors here at Good Shepherd New York. And before I offer my reflection on this gospel story, I'd like to invite you into a moment of quiet to simply open up and listen for the divine voice in your life as we consider this story. As best as you know how, with all your faith, with all your doubt, simply open up to God and to each other and let's ask for the guidance that we need today. God, guide us and speak through this shared experience, we pray. Amen. Well, I have to be honest that I'm not exactly sure where to begin this week as we consider this text. But I suppose that the fear and the panic of the disciples at the beginning is a good place as any to start. They are afraid. They're locked behind closed doors. And I'd like us to consider the question, why? I'd like us to think about it from their perspective. At the same coalition that lynched their friend only several days ago is still intact. The threat that they posed to Jesus was so strong it eventually led you and your friends at various points to flee, to betray, even to deny your friend and your leader. That fear lingers. Now you add to that the startling experience of seeing your dead friend in your midst. They think it's a ghost, which is scary enough. And now add on to that what I would call the Ebenezer Scrooge effect. Right? This isn't just a random ghost. 
It's a post-death appearance by someone you have wronged. And if someone that you have wronged, who has died, can appear before you, they must have significant power. And I'd invite you to consider at this point, how do we feel when we have wronged a very powerful person? It's for good reason the disciples are afraid in this moment. Now before we move on, I'd like you to take a moment to locate a place of fear and panic within you in this season. It could be related to threats at work, or maybe within a friendship or a family relationship. It could be a threat to your economic status or your status in general. It could be even be a real threat of violence. After all, the steady inflow of local and national news reminds us constantly that police violence and mass shootings and violent crimes, they happen far too often. What is a main source of fear in your life in these days? Now, carrying that with you into the rest of this reflection, the disciples in their fear go through a transformation in this story. Something opens up for them here. The text says, he opened their minds to understand. That's a curious language, I think, to open up. In our fear, we often close off. We protect in order to survive. But as we've said before, what often helps us survive in one moment or season winds up sabotaging our capacity to thrive in others. Yet somehow, the disciples closed in fear are opened up. And through that opening, they're able to gain a completely new understanding. But when it comes to this understanding, the medium is the message. Or perhaps it's better to say the medium is consistent with the message. Right? The what and the how are connected. They're opened up to the perspective of the suffering Messiah. Right? He tells them the Messiah must suffer. And then in tandem with his message, he shows them his wounds. He isn't just telling them about a suffering Messiah. He is the suffering Messiah. And it's with this gesture of showing his wounds and with this message, all the self-defending, all the self-preserving, all the closed-off postures that get in the way of learning and of hearing, they're disarmed. They're set at ease. And what do we learn here? There is a wisdom that only the suffering can offer. There is an openness that only the vulnerable can create. But we often don't have ears to hear that wisdom, or the suffering are not willing, and understandably so, to bear their wounds, to draw us in and open us up. It was during the so-called Middle Passage, when enslaved Africans were crammed into sea ships and transported to our continent, that Dr. Barbara Holmes points out that the terror induced a communal contemplation. Only this wasn't the privileged sort of chosen contemplation of silence and stillness or solitude of the monasteries. It was an attentiveness to reality. It was a reaching toward what was beyond, but it was incommunicable. Right? The absurdity of their suffering was beyond articulation. They were situated with people from different countries, different cultures, different tribes, different languages, different gods. But their common suffering induced a shared spirituality that was embodied by one simple gesture, the groan. Dr. Holmes says, moans 
are the utterances of choice when circumstances snatch words and prayers from bereft lips. You can recall the inciting moment of the great Exodus story in the Hebrew Bible. It was the moaning and the groaning of the Hebrew people in Egyptian slavery. You can perhaps recall how St. Paul depicts the collective groaning that we all experience under the weight of violence and injustice and moral corruption. He says in Romans chapter 8, quote, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, end quote. And later we're told that God joins us with wordless groans. Human beings groan when language isn't enough, right? Whether you're Stanley Tucci and you're tasting fresh Parmigiano Romano in Italy, or you're a mother in the midst of labor. Whether you're making love to your partner, or you watch a video of an unarmed person get shot by the police. The groan is one of the most powerful human responses we have to the mysteries and the absurdities of both pleasure and pain. Jesus here in our story opens up for us and for the disciples how God is responding to the groaning of creation, the groaning of humanity in our bondage to fear and sin and death. And the disciples, they need to be opened up because their understanding is not necessarily in line with the divine response. Right? The divine remedy here is so different from our survival impulses. We often respond to pain by running to pleasure, trying to paper over one moan with another, perhaps. We often protect ourselves from pain by securing pleasure or organizing life around pleasure. Jesus wasn't opposed to pleasure, right? This isn't an either or. In fact, if we deny one or the other, we are dehumanized in the process. This is why I think the first miracle in the gospel according to John is Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding, right? I have to imagine Stanley Tucci. Again, I'm watching the show, so I'm bringing him up a lot here. But if he were there, he would taste it, and he would probably be moaning with his trademark expression, Jesus Christ, only for the first time, the reference would be, well, literal. But Jesus, Jesus will refuse to organize life in a way that avoids the pain and suffering that sadly comes when we choose love and when we choose justice and when we choose truth. Jesus refuses to repress the pain to embrace the pleasure. He knows the path to transcendent pleasure, must pass through pain. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the Bible says. It seems that pain and pleasure are never too far removed. This is what the desert was about for Jesus, learning to listen to those temptations of ego and of empire, which essentially deny pain or avoid pain or mute pain and offer instead a strategy for self-referential pleasure. And to definitively, and Jesus there in the desert definitively says no. Right? He breaks the backbone of fear when it comes to pain. How often are we scared away from love, scared away from justice, scared away from truth by the threat of suffering and pain? Jesus is not. 
Jesus' response to the groan of all creation, the groan under injustice, the groan of pain, is to enter into it and to join it. Jesus listens when others are dismissed. Jesus includes when others are excluded. He speaks the truth when others cower, and because of it, he was a man of sorrows. Jesus laments and he weeps until the crescendo of pain on the cross, where Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured great wounding in the name of love. And here, in this locked room, he shows his scars, the scars of his wounds. But notice, there's no bitterness here. There's no revenge, no retaliation indicated. He speaks peace to them. He forgives them. The disciples were afraid of condemnation, but somehow his wounds have been recycled into invitation. And here, the mystery of God's love is opened up to them and to us. Love transforms and heals our world by entering into our pain, by absorbing our pain, and by recycling our pain. When the disciples stare at that symbol of this recycled pain, somehow they're softened, right? They're at peace and they're opened up in their understanding. The mystery of Jesus opens to the disciples, or sorry, the mystery that Jesus opens to the disciples is that the path to managing the pain and suffering and injustice of the world isn't to avoid it, isn't to minimize it, but instead is to face it, to absorb it when necessary, and to watch it recycled into something beautiful. We too easily fall into patterns patterns of ego and empire, that transmit our pain rather than allowing our pain to be transformed. But Jesus opens our minds. He sends his disciples out to tell of this love, which is strong enough to recycle our pain into peace. He sends them out to embody this love, which has wisdom to share, because it hasn't run from pain, but has embraced it in solidarity and in love. I wonder how Christ can open our minds today. We see the openness of giving and of receiving here in the story. I wonder where we might need to receive, receive the wisdom of those who suffer deeply. I wonder if we can be like Christ and hear their voice. If you can't hear them, or if you won't hear them, how can you hear Jesus? Jesus knows that they are one and the same. He said, quote, If you did it for them, you did it for me, in Matthew 25. The suffering in our face right now is basically from those victims of gun violence, whether from police in the cases of Dante Wright or Adam Toledo or the nine people murdered at the warehouse in Indianapolis. This isn't simply a matter of individual pain or even the pain of their families. We're facing a collective trauma here. It has moved beyond statistics to the level of the symbolic. We're also a country divided on the way forward. What wisdom can we glean from the experience of the suffering here, right, to move us forward as a country, as a world? Do you make space for the suffering voices in your learning journey, right? Who do you allow to have influence in your thinking and in your understanding? Are they different from you? The empire wouldn't listen to Jesus. Instead, they crucified him. Who might you not be able to hear right now that if you could open up toward them, 
you would, they would move you and perhaps move us toward a better way forward. Alternatively, I wonder if your place of wounding and pain is, a, is something that you could share. I wonder if you could be vulnerable to reach out your hands and to show your side, so to speak, right? to draw us in and open us to understanding. We often want to lead with ideas, but this rarely persuades the skeptical. We often want to lash out in anger when we're hurt, but this rarely transforms those who wound us or those who are complicit in our wounding. What could vulnerability look like for you in your life right now? What pain could you let people into that would open up understanding? I pray that God gives us Easter courage to listen to the wounds underneath the words, to show our wounds to others for the healing of our world. May Christ inspire us to follow him in this. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.